Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's up, you guys? For this episode of the Rocket Cast, we're going to discuss why calorie counting sucks as a way to lose weight. And up front, I'm going to provide you the answer to that question. Calorie counting, counting sucks as a way to lose weight because of one basic issue. It doesn't address what causes you to be hungry in the first place. And also, it doesn't address what causes you to be full. And so many of you may be wondering, what in the hell? I'm listening to this podcast to figure out, duh, hunger and being full are related to how much we eat. Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, I am. I, I know, I'm serious. This is, this is the issue with calorie counting. It doesn't address that basic issue of human physiology as to what causes you to be hungry in the first place and what causes you to be full, which leads to overeating. We're also gonna do a deeper dive into why calorie counting sucks as a way to lose weight uh, based upon the work of Dr. Jason Fung and his book, The Obesity Code, a book that completely transformed my life. And it will transform yours if you read it. Before reading that book, I weighed 300 pounds. After reading that book, I weighed 230 pounds. And it was easy because I unlocked the code. I got the answers to the test. I felt like I was cheating, except I wasn't. It was so easy. And it can be easy for you if you read the obesity code. And also, if you listen to this wonderful podcast, you will also get some tips and tricks. But you'll also have to understand why calorie counting sucks because it's part of this calories in, calories out model that your nutritionist Betty is gonna recommend. Um, And so we're gonna address a study that demonstrates why calorie counting sucks and why calories in, calories out is a flawed way to look at losing weight. The other thing we're gonna address is we're gonna look at some hormones. We're gonna talk about a little ghrelin and leptin. Well, what the hell is that? Well, we're gonna explain what those things are and why they're so important relating to what makes us hungry and what makes us full. And we're gonna do a little detour into keto. So for you, that, for those of you who get freaked out about the ketogenic diet, we're gonna, we're gonna dive deep into that. And for those of you who love carbs, you can't get rid of carbs. We're just gonna have to clutch your pearls and just listen to this podcast because we are gonna address the virtues of ketogenic diet to be able to lose weight. So first off, first off, I'm going to establish a little bit of credibility with you um, in terms of my own personal weight journey. In May of 2020, I weighed 300 pounds and had a dad bod. And that is when I actually started intermittent fasting, a 16-8 protocol in which I didn't eat food uh, for 16 hours and ate during eight hours. 
And within about six to eight weeks, people were like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? And at that point, I didn't even know what the hell keto was. No idea. I had no idea what keto was. I still hardly know what it is, even though I've done some pretty deep dives into the keto space. I'm by no means an expert. But over the course of essentially uh, the first four to five months, I was down to about 270 pounds. And that's when I recorded uh, my first podcast on intermittent fasting. And I was feeling really good. And then I started getting close to 250 pounds, which for a 6'5 guy, you may think, oh my God, you must have been really fat. I didn't look that bad, but I was clinically obese. Um, for those of you who want to look on the internet, just go to your body mass index, get your weight, get your height, get the number, and you determine whether you're clinically obese. If you're like I was, and you're clinically obese, you should be like panicked. Oh my gosh, you should be really scared. Because when you are clinically obese, your risk factors for all sorts of bad things, it's just like you're a chain smoker. So you know how you see like, you know, Betty, who's working in the lunchroom, you know, she's like smoking cigarettes and she's like, she looks like she's 42 or she looks like she's 82 yet. She's like 45 and she, she's a chain smoker. And we know that we're not going to be chain smokers. You know, well, if you're fat, you're, you're, you're just like Betty that's chain smoking. And you're like, oh, but wait a minute, that's my body. I'm, I'm, I'm born fat. No, you're not. Obesity is not found in nature. It's not. Certain people can have certain propensities towards it, but there's nothing making you clinically obese. It didn't exist, hardly. And you go to a lot of, um, you know, tribes and uh, people that, you know, hunter gathering societies that still exist you almost don't see obesity at all in those tribes. And the only way that you do is if they're going into town and eating some Dunkin' Donuts. So you can get out of obesity. Don't use that as an excuse. I was obese clinically uh, for about 20 years, right? Um, no, I, was it 20 years? Probably when I hit 30, I started getting the dad bod, you know, this long, slow decline where clothes start getting tighter and tighter. And I went from like 250 and I was like at 260. Then I went up to 270 and I'm like, holy cow, but I don't look that fat. And then I would look at myself in the pictures and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I do kind of look fat. And then I kept on getting, finally I got to 300 pounds. I'm like, holy shit, I am 300 pounds. But I didn't feel that bad because I have a big frame. Like I could have been probably an offensive lineman, you know, I have one of these huge frames, but all the risk factors were present when I was weighing nearly 300 pounds. I started getting type two diabetes. I started getting high blood pressure. I started being on the meds. And it was basically just a long, slow decline for me. And I didn't really think a lot about why calorie counting sucks. Um, at the time, it was really just because I was really freaked out. I looked at my medical records. They're like, holy shit, I have... I'm near type 2 diabetes. I need to get my eyes checked because I could go blind. I could get a heart attack. I could lose my legs. Holy cow. I have to take insulin and get even fatter. Oh my gosh. So I, it just totally freaked me out. And luckily I came across this app called Fastic, who I wish I could get indoors. Like if any Fastic people, if any of you are listening and you work for Fastic, like hire me and sponsor my podcast. I, I get zero money. I actually pay money for Fastic. Fastic, sponsor my, my podcast. Fastic totally changed my life. 
I bought Fastic. I learned how to intermittent fast. Long story short, now I got a six pack and I weigh 230 pounds. I'm fit as a fiddle and everyone's like, holy cow, I can wear skinny jeans now. It is so awesome. So I promised you that I was going to tell you why calorie counting sucks. I haven't even told you yet. So I'm rambling a little bit, but if you hear this far, at least you're being entertained. Sometimes you in the audience, you're like the people in Gladiator saying, oh, entertain us, entertain us. And I'm like, Gladius Maximus or whatever the hell his name is. Are you entertained? Are you entertained? Um, okay, so we're going to talk about why calorie counting sucks. And if you go to Betty, Betty, your nutritionist, Betty's going to tell you, okay, in order to lose weight, you have to reduce the calories that you eat and that you put in your mouth. And you have to measure everything and you have to increase your exercise. And Betty's going to tell you that it's calories in, calories out, and it's a simple law of physics. And so every morning you're going to get up and you're going to have some oatmeal, like some whole grain oats. And then you're going to put a little sugar and you're going to measure and you're going to count that. <laughs> then you're going to squeeze your butt cheeks and then wait the next two or three hours and then have a little snack that Betty's going to prescribe. But you're going to measure that snack. And then you're going to go to lunch and then Betty's going to make a fist and she's going to say, see this fist, your meat should be no longer than your fist. And you could put a little color, so put some, put some salad and put some beets in, in your fist, like maybe have a little hamburger and then you can have that. And then you're going to hold it in for a little while and you're going to be all hungry. But then two hours later, you'll get another snack. And then at, for your dinner, you're going to have another snack and you're going to have a nice dinner and then you're going to have a little dessert and then you're going to be really hungry again. So just before you go to bedtime, you're going to have another snack. So Betty is going to, is going to tell you all this stuff. And, and Betty went to, you know, Wachahatchee State or whatever community college Betty went to and she works at the hospital. And Betty, by the way, She's the same lady that gives juice to diabetics when they're in the hospital and gives them seven. Betty, what the hell? Why are you doing that? Well, here's why. So you're like, well, don't be so hard on Betty. My mom is named Betty and, and I'm actually a nutritionist. And this is right because this is what we studied in our textbooks from a professor. Well, your professor is wrong. You know how many often professors are wrong? You know, I, I kind of agree with William Buckley that sometimes... Who would you rather have, a professor of sociology run your city or a plumber that's worked for 35 years? I tell you what, I'd rather have the plumber. Okay, so why, does Cal why is Betty so wrong? Well, because Betty has a flawed understanding of human physiology as it exists, as it exists in the real world. And here's where Jason Fung's work is so powerful um, because he cites and explains very clearly in the obesity code why calorie counting is a horrible way to lose weight. Why? It based, it's based upon a caloric reduction model that at the outer edges, of course, is correct, which is obvious if we don't eat calories, we are going to shrink. And obviously, if we eat a lot of calories, we are going to balloon up, right? So we all understand that. But it doesn't address the why question. It's only the how question. And in doing so, it, it, it is very flawed. And then it also is doubly flawed 
if you're in this carb-centric world, right? Key, a high-carb diet coupled with caloric restriction is going to lead to a bad outcome for you. I'm just telling you, this is the case. So what does Fung say about caloric restriction? And by the way, in my 70-pound weight loss journey, I didn't, I didn't count one calorie. I don't. And I can like lose weight at will. So prior to 40 time, I was fat. And now I'm pretty much like, I can lose weight whatever the hell I want. And I'm not worried about going on a food binge. And you're like, oh, well, maybe that's just you. Well, so what? I mean, who the hell are you to talk? I'm not going to listen to you. Well, if you're listening this far, you're listening to me. So you're going to listen to me. And I'm trying to get you to start on your journey. I mean, this notion of providing all the answers, I'm just getting you to start your own journey so that you can lose weight. And if you got a dad bod and you look like ass in photos, stop it. You don't need to have a dad bod. You can get fit. And you can get fit by listening to my ass and starting your own journey and learning your own questions and don't make everyone else have the answers. So why does calorie counting suck as a way to lose weight? Well, it does for two key reasons, okay? Especially when it's coupled with high carb diet. Because what happens, there's something called your basal metabolic rate. This is explained in detail in the obesity code. And you may say, well, you're not a doctor. Why well, I'm not a doctor, but Jason Fung is. And this is in the obesity code. And I'm summarizing it for you. And I've experienced it. So go to hell and you're listening. And so you can, you can listen to my explanation. Okay. So why does it not work? Because you have something called the basal metabolic rate. This is the, this is the rate at which our body burns calories to live. And as we exist, we have a set basal metabolic rate. And that, say it's 2000, right? Well, what happens when we, let's say we want to lose weight. We got a dad bod. You go to Betty and Betty's like, okay, in order to lose weight, you have to, you have to lower your calories. And here's why Betty has persisted as long as she has, right? In her little horn room classes. Because Betty is right in the short term, Okay. So like, for example, if you're doing a high carb, low fat, you're having your whole grains, you're following the food pyramid, six to 11 servings of pasta per week and other, you know, carbs and breads and whole grains, you're having high carb, low fat, and you're doing this throughout the week. In the short term, you absolutely are going to lose weight, especially if it's coupled with exercise, right? So you go down to 1500 calories per day and you have a 500 calorie deficit. And so you're losing weight and you're like, woohoo. And people are like, yeah, you're looking great. And you're like, yeah, thank you. But what's going inside your head as uh, people tell you that you're losing weight? You're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm losing weight. But what's the problem? I'm in constant pain. I'm hungry. Oh, and so early on, you can do it but you start craving food and your, your, and your body, what, what happens when your body is constantly craving food? It, it panics because you get nervous. It's like, what if your boss, Al, your, your boss, Al's like, son, you've done a good, you've done a good job, son, but we want to make a little bit more money in this business. And we decided to cut your salary by 30%, but we're only going to cut it 
six months out. So well, actually, we're going to start gradually reducing it so you get acclimated to it. And then we're going to cut you, Sarah, because we can replace you whenever the hell we want. And what are you going to do if your boss, Al, tells you you're going to have your salary reduced? Well, hopefully you're going to reduce your expenditures and you're not going to like put it on credit card. You're going to cut that family vacation. You're going to cut the amount of money that you're spending. Well, your body does the same thing. You have your conscious mind that is a that you're listening to right now, right? But there's so many things where your body is doing it irrespective of what your conscious mind is thinking about and what your body is like. I don't give a shit what your conscious mind is thinking. It is sensing food scarcity because you're depriving it of calorie. Well, how does the body respond to that? The body responds to that by reducing the rate at which it expends calories. Your basal metabolic rate is reduced. So if you are lowering your caloric intake, right, and you, um, you're, you're, you're losing weight, your body then eventually will then, the calories in goes down, but your body, your body will lower its basal metabolic rate in terms of what it's expending. So you may be neutral, okay? And so what's the issue there? So then you're, then you're have a, a essentially no more, no less. You're in a calorie neutral position and you're not losing any more weight. But what's also happening as your basal metabolic rate goes down? Betty has advised you on this food pyramid because she can't think for herself. And she's told you to eat a lot of carbs and limit your fats because we all know that fat Fats cause arthrosclerosis, which, by the way, isn't necessarily true. And you're, you're eating carbs and you're snacking throughout the day. What are you doing? You are spiking your hunger hormone called ghrelin. Ghrelin is the hormone that makes you hungry. So not only are you reducing your calorie expenditure, the calories that are going out, you're spiking your hunger because Betty's telling you to eat throughout the day. And in response to that, your body's like, oh, it sends you the hunger hormone, which you need. There's a, a ghrelin isn't necessarily good or bad. It's like insulin. You need insulin to live. Too much of it's a bad thing. If your ghrelin is spiking throughout the day and it's saying, I'm hungry, feed me. It's like a kid on allowance, okay? Let's say you give your little, your little um, kid, um, Taylor, like, Taylor, I'm going to give you an allowance of $10 per week, Taylor. Well, what's Taylor going to do? Taylor's going to start anticipating that money throughout the week and start acclimating to $10 per week. Well, your, your body does the same thing with its ghrelin. It starts anticipating the food. Oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to get this food input. And so it's hungry. And in order, it starts responding to the food that it gets throughout the day. And there's all sorts of other things that we're getting into in terms of the insulin, which is going to block your fat storage hormone, your, your, your ability to tap your own fat stores. And we'll get into that into the next episode. But that is why calorie counting sucks. Because not only do you have the, the, the double whammy of, oh, you look, you, look, you look great in the short term. In the long, so, so you are losing weight in the short term, but you're in constant pain. You're miserable. You're stressed. And even though people are telling you you look great, 
you, you're, you're walking by, you're growling a spike because you're having your high carbs, you're having your low fat, you're not being satiated when you eat, and your body has lowered its basal metabolic rate. Well, what are you? You're equivalent to a Nicolas Cage leaving Las Vegas food vendor. You're not going to sustain it in the long term because you're constantly hungry. And sooner or later, you're going to have a hard day at work. Your volitional control is going to be lowered. And you're going to say, what the hell? There's that pizza there. And then you're going to be like, oh, oh, that pizza tastes so good. To the hell with it. I can get away with it. I can splurge. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. I'm going to have a beer, have some vodka. You're going to go on a food vendor. And then you're going to feel bad about yourself. And then you're going to feel hungry the next day. And then you're going to be like, what the hell? I don't care if I have a dad bod or a mom bod. I'm just going to, I'm just going to let it go. And by the way, at this point, your basal metabolic rate has been lowered. You're on a carb diet. So you're hungry all the time. And you're going to put the weight back on. Betty's not right. Betty and the whole food movement. All these people that have given advice for the last 50 years are wrong. Now, why is Betty smoking the crack that she is, right? Because there was a very smart guy named Dr. Ansel Keys. I believe he was at the University of Minnesota. And he was sort of the godfather of the traditional, um, you know, the, the food pyramid and why he thought that fats were bad. Well, I, he did a, a, a starvation study um, in the 50s. And essentially what he did was is he put people on caloric restriction, right? And he gave these subjects, these otherwise healthy young men who weren't that fat to start with, um, calorically restricted diets. But what did he do? He gave them high carb diets. Um, he did not give them high fat, high nutrient dense diets. And so these people were in constant craving throughout the day. They became neurotic. They obsessed about food. They dreamt about food. Their hair started falling out. And that was just sort of viewed as canon as to why high carb and, you know, you don't want to, that became canon as to why it was so, uh, such a good way to eat, right? Um, and that that's sort of how this calories in, calories out model was brought. And it's one of the reasons why they thought fasting was so bad because, oh, that's going to have, because they were saying fasting is like starvation. And he also had this famous seven country studies where he showed a correlation between an association with high fat consuming countries and heart attacks compared to low carb, um, essentially low fat countries that had lower fat contents to their diets. Now there's all sorts of problems with that study. So Betty, there's a reason why Betty was trained the way that she was, but now we've learned all these things about the seven country study. For one thing, he's cherry picked studies. So he ignored all of the countries that didn't fit his model. There are other countries that did have high fat diets and did not have the, the heart attacks. And, and the French were the classic example. We were, oh, well, that's such a surprise that the French don't have um, the heart attack rates that we see in the United States. There are all sorts of things that were driving those heart attack numbers, that arthrosclerosis, that did not involve healthy, high-fat diets. Okay, so that is why the calorie in, calorie out model is fundamentally flawed, is that it doesn't address the question of your hunger. What makes you hungry and what makes you full? 
Now you, you maybe be like, well, wh wh where, where's your source for that? Well, Fung, one of the things I love about Fung as a source, I did this in my previous podcast, he cites uh, a national women's study. Um, essentially, there's a 2006 study that followed, uh, that was the culmination of nearly 30 years of research and involved women, uh, postmenopausal women with a body mass index of 29, which is just under clinical obesity. And they followed this classic calories in, calories out model. And, they, and the empirical data was exactly uh, what you would expect based upon the work of Dr. Fung, um, everyone that's been talking about the, the, the vices of the high carb, low fat model. So here's the actual numbers, 50,000 postmenopausal women they were all received dietary counseling from Betty. Betty was like, okay, we're going to measure out. We're going to have you eating throughout the day. They reduced calories from 700, 1,788 to 1,446. And they, re they reduced, uh, so it was a, a, a fat decrease. Fat is a percentage of calories decreased from 38 to 29%. Carbs increased from 44 to 52, sort of following the standard model. And women increased their daily physical activity by 14%. Um, and the control group, the people that weren't receiving Betty's advice, followed essentially the same high calorie, higher fat diet. Okay. So here's what the results were for this. And this was 50,000 postmenopausal women, right? And they were followed over a period of time. It was peer reviewed, controlled, the best of the best study. Okay, so they so the eat less, move more. This is Betty's group that following the standard model started out great, which is what you would expect, right? They did lose some weight. They lost more than four pounds of weight, which I don't think is really that great. I mean, hell, if keto, keto people would laugh at that number. That's ridiculous. But so they did lose some weight. Um, but here's the key finding. Did they lose, replace some of the fat with, with muscle? No their waist circumference increased approximately 0.39 in inches. And their average waist to hip ratio increased from 0.82 to 0.83. So they looked fatter, which indicates they were actually fatter than before. And, and then weight loss of over 7.5 years of the eat less, move more strategy was not even one single kilogram. And that's not the only study. There's been multiple studies that have shown the exact same thing. Now, let me just sort of um, just use, think of your own experience as to what makes you go on a food vendor, right? But here's the deal with carbs. It's not that there's no basis for carbs, right? It's not that carbs are just totally bad for you in all cases, I mean, certain types of cards, especially if you're looking at whole grains, can be okay. But what's one of the reasons why carbs are so detrimental to a weight loss program? Well, there's multiple reasons for that. Um, but let me address one issue is that there seems to be a relationship. And I think it, it's, if you think about it, it seems to make sense. There seems to be a relationship between a high carb, low fat diet and the hunger hormone ghrelin, okay? The thing that makes us feel hungry.
Because if you ever think about, have you ever really thought about this? And this is something to think about. This is almost like a metaphysical question. I don't smoke pot, but just imagine you're just sitting around the campfire. You take a, you take a toke. You, you, you exhale. And you're like, dude, did you ever really think about what makes you feel why you're hungry? Did you ever really think about that? Have you ever really thought about that? I mean, think about it. That's a deep question. When you feel hungry, are you, does the hunger represent a nutritional need on the part of your body? Or is your body tricking you and sending the ghrelin hunger hormone to you saying, feed me, feed me. Do you ever think about that? Now, obviously, at some point, the ghrelin is absolutely signaling what it's supposed to do. If you haven't eaten for 24 hours, you're going to get hungry, right? You are going to get hungry, but there's going to be some very counterintuitive things that you won't necessarily think about. Here's the other thing. Not as much as you think. And that's one of the joys of intermittent fasting and even extended fasts is that you all think it's gonna be really hard because you haven't fasted before. Once you start fasting and your body acclimates to fasting, that is, it's not sending the ghrelin throughout the day signaling you to eat, your ghrelin then is suppressed. It turns out that your ghrelin is just like everything else in your body, every other hormone in your body. Your ghrelin is rhythmic. So if you're used to eating and you're following Betty's advice, your body is just like little Taylor waiting for its allowance. And we all are creatures of habit and rhythm and pulse. Well, your body does just that. It then anticipates I'm going to be fed when I wake up. I'm going to signal that because this is something that's been going on in humanity for 3.5 million years and for life for a billion years. So getting ready to receive nutrients and to signal your body that you're ready to eat is a billion years worth of evolution. And it is important. Ghrelin serves its function. It's a signal. And the human animal was able to handle that signal for a long time because they didn't have a choice. So they evolved, we evolved under food scarcity. We did not have food abundance, even up until, you know what, even you'd be surprised in terms of when we really had food abundance as a culture, really even post-World War II, where the vast majority of the population could have access to food uh, throughout the day. Even in the 30s, you'd be surprised. You know, Norman Borlaug, the great um, food scientist, um, he basically talked about how hungry he was all the time. There was a malnourishment. You know, one of the things in terms of the New Deal, a lot of the young men before they went work for the Civilian Conservation Corps um, were malnourished. Malnourishment was a big issue. And so the human being just hasn't had to deal with it. And you look at uh, some of those old 40s newsreels, everyone is skinny. They all are. You hardly see fat people. 
It was extremely unusual. So why is this important as it relates to ghrelin? Well, even if you felt hungry, your, your body didn't have the opportunity to get fed throughout the day. So what we've done is, is with, the, with, this, with listening to Betty's advice, especially with the high carb, the high carb is a ready source of nutrients. So your body likes it. That's why your body likes it. And your body then in, in response to that saying, oh, I'm going to be fed. And this is something that's been doing for 3.5 billion years. So it starts getting rhythmic. So it starts sending this ghrelin signal throughout the day. You think you're hungry, but you're, not, you're feeling the hunger, but you're not feeling physiological hunger. In other words, what do I mean by that? Your body does not need to eat. You're not going to die, okay? You're not going to die. And here's the magic of fasting. Once you do fast and you reject Betty's advice and you go to the 16-8 model, right? You don't eat for 16 hours and then you have an eight-hour window or potentially a four-hour window or occasionally do an extended 24 or 48-hour fast. Here's the thing related to hunger that Betty and a lot of these traditional nutritionists don't have a clue about, your hunger is totally suppressed. So I've been fasting now uh, since May of 2020. And I am never hungry in the morning anymore because I don't eat in the morning because my body knows it's not going to be fed. And the reality is, is that once you start fasting, you're going to forget that you even haven't eaten sometimes. So sometimes you'll, you'll unwittingly do a 24-hour fast. Yesterday, I did a 24-hour fast easily. And the great thing about that is, is that then your body then starts submitting ghrelin or that hunger hormone when it actually needs to be fed. At that point, then what are you doing? You're linking your hunger with your need to be fed, not the fake hunger that is now then created throughout the day in this high carb low fat environment, okay? That is absolutely key to understand. And the other thing, and we'll get into this in our second, um, in our next podcast in this insulin theory of obesity, you are also going to, when, when you have a ketogenic diet, you're gonna be giving your body foods that are more satiating, that is the higher fat, lower carb, and are going to start getting your leptin signaling correct. There seems to be a connection between the satiating meats and um, higher fat. You think about it, it makes sense. Why would that be the case? Because your body knows, oh, I'm getting higher fat, nutrient-dense foods. And so leptin, what is leptin? Leptin is the hormone that makes you feel full. And so your you would and so this is just an amazing thing to understand. What makes you hungry and what makes you full? And then once you start fasting, you start getting an organic connection between feeling hunger and actually needing to be fed in terms of supplying your body with the nutrients that it needs. Number one. Number two, you're going to start becoming more insulin sensitive, which means that your body isn't going to need to produce as much insulin to be able to um, absorb some of the nutrients into your cells. Number two, 
Number three, once you start losing weight, and, and if your body is not receiving um, the food throughout the day, what is its backup plan? I always wondered this. I would look at my dad's belly and I was thinking, why the hell are you ever hungry? Because you have fat. So why, why doesn't your body just use that? Well, your body isn't dumb. The reason why your body doesn't immediately tap its fat doors is that's your emergency food supply. These are the excess calories that your body couldn't use at the time and it's stored. There's a, there's a need for fat. It is your, 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 it's like your reserve fund, your financial emergency fund. That's why sometimes even rich people, they, can, they don't tap their savings if they have a ready, ready source of cash, right? Because they know that they're going to get the cash. They don't need to tap in their savings. And that's why they want to make it difficult to tap their 401k. That's why you put a penalty in there, okay? So that's where your body is. If you're getting these easy calories in the form of carbs and you're eating throughout the day, your body doesn't even need to learn how to tap its fat stores. And that's what we call being fat adapted. Once you start fasting, your body organically then starts to say, oh, I'm not going to get fed. Well, then I know how to tap my fat stores. Now, here's why so you'll, you'll start losing weight. But here's one of the amazing findings. And this really comes from uh, the obesity code. And this is really important to understand is that why Betty is just full of shit. Don't, don't listen to Betty. Listen to Dr. Fung. Listen to people that know what the hell they're talking about. There seems to be, and this is also counterintuitive. Did you ever wonder? And if you're fat, don't, don't, don't be in. I was fat once too. It, it, just don't get into this conversation. Oh, you're, you're fat shaming me. I'm fat. You do not have to be fat. And if you're here this far, you, you want to learn. So here's one of the interesting things related to satiety and obesity. Obese people tend to be in a state of insulin resistance, meaning that their body has to produce a lot of insulin in order to be able to absorb some of the nutrients. So that is essentially a state of being in type two diabetes, that you're insulin resistant. You have to produce more and more insulin to be able to get the nutrients and you don't want to be in that state. You would think in this state that your body would send signals that you would, you would get full easier. But here's the pernicious thing about obesity as it relates to leptin. The more insulin resistant that you are, the more leptin resistance that you are. In other words, there seems to be, an, uh, I guess it would be an inverse correlation that the fatter you get, the more leptin resistant you get, what's the practical consequence? That's why fat people eat so much. They, they are not, and, and especially if you're having carbs, high carb, low fat is not getting you enough of your leptin hormone. And you are insulin resistant because your body is spiking insulin in response to those readily made carbs. You're not feeling as full. That's why you're stuffing your pie hole. And, you're, and that's why fat people eat so damn much. It's not because they're genetically wired that way. It's because their leptin's out of whack. And if you don't understand that, you're not going to lose weight. If you're not, so that's why calories in, calories out, out sucks. Because you're not understanding what makes you hungry and what makes you full. So here's, here's the interesting thing. In a study that was done in a, uh, uh, by cited in the obesity code, he said both fasting and, and insulin and fasting leptin levels are higher in obese people. 
indicating a state of both insulin and leptin resistance. The leptin response to a meal is different, okay? In lean people, leptin levels rose, which makes sense as leptin is a satiety hormone. However, in obese subjects, leptin levels fell. Despite the meal, their brains were not getting the message to stop eating. The leptin levels resistant seen in obesity may also develop due to self-regulation. Persistently high leptin levels lead to leptin resistance. It's also possible that high insulin levels may have caused weight gain by mechanisms unrelated to leptin and pathways yet to be discovered. Okay. So this is the key takeaway um, for the calorie counting issue. And this is why I think the ketogenic diet, although it's not perfect, and I, I always say I'm keto-ish, that is, there, are, there is a reason for carbs. Carbs can be a great source in terms of your brain, your mental functioning, if you're exercising a lot, especially good carbs. If you're talking about sweet potatoes, you're putting olive oil, uh, you, the carbs that you eat are not super highly processed. You do not need super highly processed carbs. You're not eating a lot of sugar. Avoid sugar at all costs. That's just like jet fuel, which jet fuel are good for jets. But if you're, if you're some sort of schlub, you don't need jet fuel to operate, right? Fats allow a consistent access of nutrient-dense foods that, that connect you to your satiety hormone, your leptin. And then if you couple that with intermittent fasting, your ghrelin levels will be regulated and you won't feel hungry. Your ghrelin signal will occur only when you actually are hungry. That is, your body actually needs the food, not the fake hunger. And so that's one of the miracles of fasting is that you can actually get, now here I'm going to say a lot of, if you've made it this far, but here's where Betty is right. Ultimately, fasting does lead to a caloric reduction. So here's the punchline is that I did lose 70 pounds by reducing the amount of food that I eat. So if, you, if you're knocking out breakfast, you're getting rid of all those. So off the top, you're getting five to 700 calories off the plate. And some people it's a thousand calories. That's a lot of calories, right? So you are getting it. Most importantly, the magic of fasting is, is that then you're not hungry during breakfast. So it's like, it's like, it's like being able to, why do people spend too much money? They get into a store and they feel the desire to spend. And it's sort of like with eating, once you don't have the desire to eat, you don't eat. So you do get caloric reduction. So here's the other thing. They are right but they're right, at the, they're right at the wrong stage. They're right at the back end. So the result of coupling intermittent fasting and ketogenic diet is this powerful combination that restores your body's natural rhythmic eating that it was designed to do. That's why it's so important. What does fasting do? It makes you insulin sensitive which is also related to your leptin resistance to being satiated. So that's one of the magic things about when you break your fast, you would think that you would gorge yourself. You do not, trust me, you do not. You would also think that you would, it would cause eating disorders. Trust me, you do not. Because when you break your fast, you crave nutrient dense, healthy foods. When I started my fasting journey, I didn't know the first thing about health, zero. I still don't know a ton. Um, but you just start looking for the outside of the food aisle when you're breaking your fast. You look for the avocados. You look for the healthy oils. You look for the good meats. 
and the fermented foods, you start craving those. And it, and it just, you get the natural cycle of what you're designed to do. We're designed to eat rhythmically. We're designed to eat in a symptom of food scarcity. And the key thing with the ketogenic diet, especially where it's the good keto, we're talking about the high fat satiating foods is that when you do eat, your body feels fed. But here's the other key thing with fasting. Even though there is some caloric restriction, here's the deal with that. If you couple it with a high fat, low carb, your leptin levels are gonna, your leptin and your ghrelin is gonna be better. So, so on the front end, you don't feel as hungry when you do eat. And on the back end, you are gonna feel more satiated when you do eat and you're eating these high fat, low carb foods. And the piece de la resistance, you are also having a caloric intake that is more calorie neutral than what you think. In other words, your body is getting the calories just at a certain time, not throughout the day. So you're not necessarily lowering your basal metabolic rate. You're actually increasing. You could increase your basal metabolic. So you're getting, the, in some cases, the same amount of calories, right? And so there have been studies uh, in which people maintain the same amount of calories and they lose weight based upon when they eat as opposed to what they eat. Let me say that again. When you eat is twice as important as what you eat. And this is also a key finding of the obesity code. Now, one of the key, now maybe some of you say like, oh my gosh, this is just too good to be true. I studied at Wachihatchee State Inc. or university, and that's not what my professor told me. So I don't, I don't agree, or maybe yet, better yet, maybe, maybe your mom is Betty and she's a nutritionist and you're like, mom, are you still living at home and talking to your mom? If not, get the hell out of the house. You go like, mom, he said that calorie counting isn't important. Oh, well, that's not true. Well, first of all, is Betty a little pudgy? I, I bet she is. I bet, but bet, it's sort of like, you ever see a lot of fat nurses? What the hell do they know about nutrition? They don't know shit. A lot of doctors are kind of fat. fat some of them smoke. So, I, I mean, so I, I think the issue here is, is that I encourage you. And so like, my response to that is, is that even if, you're skeptical of this. I've lost 70 pounds. Right now, it is now 8.09 a.m. on a Saturday morning. I haven't eaten since eight o'clock the night before. I'm not gonna eat for probably another eight to 10 hours. No, it's not gonna be any problem. It's easy. I do. I remember when I was in college, I tried to do a 24-hour fast and I was like, oh my gosh, it's so hard. Now I can like 24-hour fast are like nothing. And I've done two 40-hour fasts. In the spring, I'm going to do a 40-hour fast. And I'm going to take you on my fasting journey with me. But seriously, people, once you start fasting, your hunger gets totally regulated. You feel less hungry, which is paradoxical. You'd think you'd be hungry all the time. And you feel more satiated when you're full. Well, why, why is that? Because you're doing what you were designed to do. Eat higher density, we're designed to kill the mammoth and eat that fat and that bone and that meat. And then we have food scarcity. So we're putting ourselves in line with 3.5 million years of human evolution and a billion years 
of life evolution, no animal is designed to gorge themselves all of the time. You know, and I am going to do a, a podcast on um, against nuance. And a lot of you are going to be like, what a schlub. He's saying no nuance and embrace dogma. Yeah, that is what I'm going to say. And on the front end, I'll, I'll tell you, and this will be in my future podcast, I'm being against dogma as it applies to the, 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 the dieting space, is I'm going to be, do- I am going to be dogmatic. I think by and large, ketogenic is far superior uh, to other types of diets. I am dogmatic about that. Number two, intermittent fasting is one of the only ways to really have sustained weight loss. I am going to be ripped and fit the rest of my life because I understand how this stuff works. <laughs> Among other things, Having said that I'm going to do that, if I go on a food vendor, you're going to be like, oh my God, remember the fasting guy? He used to be 230. Now he weighs like 350 and he looks like, you know, fat bastard. Get into my pie hole. That wasn't a very good accent. No, it's like, how is it? Get into my belly. Was that, was that a good one? That was a pretty good one. So it's not going to be hard. I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to gain the weight again. I can lose weight at, at will. And you will be too if you learn how to intermittent fast and if you learn how to do the keto diet. And I'm going to be dogmatic about that. And why? And we'll do a separate episode on the virtues of dogma that applies to the dieting space. Yes, of course, there's human variation. Duh. I do believe in evolution. I do believe that there is all of these different you know, ways in which humans are different. Of course, I believe that. What I also believe is, is that human beings are human beings. Cows, you know, would we encourage cows to be meat eaters? No, they're ruminant animals. Would we exive a tiger to all of a sudden start chomping on grass? No, of course not. We would advise a tiger that they need to eat meat. They're carnivores. What are humans? Humans are predominantly carnivores that eat plants and root vegetables and a little bit of honey as survival foods when those other sources aren't available. That's what we are designed to do. And so that, for the most part, is going to be right for most people. And, and the nuance, I think the problem with the nuance argument is that, yes, of course, there's virtue of nuance. The doctors out there don't criticize me. I get it. That's why I need to go to the doctor. But I think that there's more, there's much more in common and much more people are going to thrive with the keto and intermittent fasting, and they're going to get ripped and cut. And they're going to be in way better shape than these vegan people and these people that are following Betty's advice. They're, they're basically squeezing in their butt cheeks and eating throughout the day and they're all miserable, whatever. Keto and intermittent fasters are happy and ripped, almost to a T. It's not hard. And the reason is, is that we are acting as we were designed to act, right? And so you will too. Now, would you buy this book? Um, buy the by the obesity code. And when you read that for me, please, your, your life is going to be <clears throat> entirely transformed. And tell him that Rockney Cole recommended this book. Reach out to Dr. Fun and tell him, Rockney Cole said I should buy your book and you, he completely changed your life. And also share with me your stories. Once you start intermittent fasting, send me an email to either rockneycole at gmail.com or rockneycast at gmail.com. Share with me your stories, how much weight you're losing, how ripped and cut you're getting. I have a six pack for the first time in my life. Well, I mean, when I was younger, I had a six pack, but I mean, I'm, I'm ripped now. I was, I had dad bod. I'm going to do a separate episode on dad bod be gone. So you are going to get, if you follow, if you buy obesity code 
and you start intermittent fasting, start with the 16 8. You know, some people talk about, uh, you know, 12 hour. Yeah, sure. If you can't do the 16 8, start with 12. Just cut out your snacks, eat from, you know, get up, have a breakfast, don't eat sugar, um, noon and, and dinner, and um, cut out your snacks. That's a good starting point. But 16 8 really isn't that hard. I started almost immediately, and it's, it's, it's only hard for about the first couple of days, then it's super easy. So, people, this was a good one. I think it was anyway. If you think it is, let me know and share the word and spread the word of the Rocky Cats because I want to do this full time. Like I really do. So reach out to the Fastic people, buy the Fastic app and start flooding Fastic with this cold guy that like, he's like, he's the greatest guy ever. And he's really funny and he's really cool. And like, you guys should sponsor his podcast. And so reach out to the Fastic people because I'm telling you, Fastic people, it was your dumbass ad in Facebook that opened this whole new world to me. And it was only, and I still have Fastic, even though you really only need a watch to fast. I still have Fastic. I think it's really helpful if you're starting out. So reach out to the Fastic people and tell them to sponsor my podcast so I can do this full time. And invite me onto their various podcasting shows. I've already been the guest on one awesome podcast show. So hopefully I'll be on the phone even more. I think this podcast is really going to evolve to more of a fasting podcast with occasional detours into whatever the hell that I'm interested in. So cheer me on people. I finally have a theme. Oh my gosh. So when I started, I didn't really know what my theme was going to be. I was like, is it going to be stoicism? Is it going to be history? Is it going to be my man crush US grant? I'm still all going to cover those things because I can't just do it on fasting. But for the most part, I think this is going to evolve into a fasting keto-ish podcast. And in order to be able to grow the numbers here, you got to give me a good reviews. Yeah, I ramble a little bit, but hell with it. I like doing it that way. And this is a long one. And if you're Tom Karsner or whoever the hell you are, just deal with it. I can ramble. It's my own podcast. I can do whatever the hell I want. Spread the word amongst Spotify, Apple, all places where podcasts are heard. Um, give me positive reviews, share it with a friend, share it with a loved one. When you're at the grocery counter, go like, oh my God, did you hear this great podcast called the Rocky Cast? Totally spread the word. It's totally changed my life. And I kind of laugh and I think it's kind of funny. Or even if you don't like it, you can be like, oh God damn, that Rocky thinks he's funny, but he's kind of a son of a bitch. I think he's awful. He's given bad information and he, and he's insulting my brother, Betty. Betty, and, and Betty, dad, dadgummit, Betty, even though she's kind of fat and her, her advice kind of sucks, she's my mother. And you can't insult Betty. So regardless of what direction, you, I don't care if you hate me or you love me, just spread the word so I can grow my podcast. So infinite, if you've made it, you get a star. You know, when I was a kid, I like to get the smelly stickers and I'm getting, I was kind of a nerd. I got a lot of smelly stickers. You know, you got a good grade when you got like, like a smelly sticker. So if you're here this far, you've made it good for you. First of all, get a light. No, I'm just kidding. I, I appreciate the year, but I'm going to give you a little smelly sticker. You know, one of those things that probably has like, it smells like grape or like watermelon and you'd get like an A plus on your exam and it'd be like, like whiff it. It probably has all sorts of carcinogens in it, but in any event, if you've made it this far, I'm giving you a smelly sticker and you can feel good about yourself. Ooh, you got a good grade. You've made it this far. You've learned a ton. You better know about ghrelin, leptin, keto, intermittent fasting. And if you didn't learn all the answers, you are going to learn more. So for the next podcast, we're going to, it's a third in our series. 
of Jason Fung. It's going to be on the insulin theory of obesity. Having impugned calorie counting, insulin theory of obesity is going to be what we're going to focus on and why that's the right way to go. It absolutely is great. It is the way to lose weight, this understanding how insulin works. And we're going to focus on that. We're going to bring guests on the show that really going to talk about the insulin theory of obesity. But yes, absolutely. Let's tune in for the next podcast. So infinite gratitude to all of you who have tuned into this particular episode. I had so much fun doing it. We're going to do a lot of episodes on the Rocky cast. This is a longer one, but if you don't like longer ones, tough. Um, you know, you can listen to this one. So infinite gratitude to all of you. Um, I got an online class here that I have to take here in just a little bit. Um, appreciate the time, the effort, each one of you for tuning into the Rockney Cast. Continue to please uh, spread the word of the Rockney Cast. But until next time, we can share our time together. Stay tuned for continuing episodes of the Rockney Cast. <laughs>